What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Fast Track, formerly known as Pave the Way Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Helbeck, and on this show, you are gonna learn exactly how to be successful as a real estate investor. It doesn't matter if you're brand new or if you've done dozens and dozens of deals. This is a podcast you're gonna be able to listen to that's gonna give you actionable, specific advice on how to be successful within real estate investing. I'm gonna interview top-notch real estate investors each and every week, and there's also gonna be some content that is just gonna be me telling you exactly about my journey and how I've went from a broke kid starting out to a million-dollar real estate investor. So if you wanna learn how to be successful investing in real estate, this is the show to listen to, and I'm looking forward to being able to serve you at a high level. All right, Ren, welcome to the show, my man. I've known you for a while, and it's really cool to see what you have been able to do in this real estate business in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, it's funny. As you say that, I was thinking like, well, I have known Greg for a long time, and you actually used to train our sales team. Do you remember that? Yeah, crazy, do. I do. That was a while ago, man. <laughs> yeah. Five years ago, I think. Five years ago, so. Yeah, buddy. Well, welcome to the show. It's been a long time coming, right? So, Let's just start with this. You know, you've been in real estate now for a while. What made you get into the business? Because a lot of people have these different backgrounds and it's always funny to see how they end up stumbling into real estate. Yeah, so pretty unique story, I guess. I started, you know, dude, it's crazy. Like I'm 35 now, 10 years ago, I was a deadbeat bartender with just no future. Right. And, um, you know, kind of I kind of really started wanting more for my life. And, and I had a daughter uh, who is nine now. And that changed a lot for me. And I knew that the, the, the path that I was going, you know, my, my number one ambition in life was just to be a great father. Right. And uh, I knew I had to make some changes. So I did. I went, you know, I got really into people like uh, Tony Robbins and Jim Rome and, and, and Zig Ziglar and stuff like that. And really just found my way, found out how to wiggle my way into an advertising agency, started out working for free, right? I had no skills, no resume, no anything, but I met this guy and we connected and I was like, dude, I'll just come work for free. Found a way to make myself valuable, taught myself how to build websites, accidentally sold a website and got a commission check for $2,000. And from that day forward, I was like, boy, I'm a salesman. I am in sales. Um, because previously I had resented sales because my whole, I, it had this like negative stigma that I associated with it because my whole life, my family told me, you know, Ren, you talk so much shit. You're so full of shit. You have got to be an attorney or a salesperson. And I just like to talk, right? Like to negotiate, like to get my way with people. Um, and so I, I, that was like, I was good. I set out to do anything but be in sales or be an attorney. But once I got that first commission check, I said, hey, there's something to this. I made more on that one sale than I had, you know, um, the, the previous prior month. And so really got heavy into advertising, learned marketing and advertising very well. And eventually, you know, left that company, built that company up. It was, we, we did very well there in just a short amount of time. And it was just because I outworked everybody and then went on to another company with a guy, did kind of the same thing there. And as I was there, I started a vlog. And I started, you know, um, every every week we would put out these videos and I think it, it caught the attention of my former business partner. And, uh, you know, I caught on him. I had this little sneaky trick in advertising that I used to do. Um, I joined the Chamber of Commerce and I, I joined their ambassador program. And what that allowed me to do 
is any new Chamber of Commerce member, you got their contact information. You got to call on them and say, hey, I'm an ambassador of the chamber. I'd love to come out and meet you and see how I can help you. And that was my foot. That was my foot in the door with new business owners that had our business owners that had just joined the Chamber of Commerce. And it was how I drummed up business. So it was my life. And it done very well for me. And so I met this guy who uh, ran and he was a real estate investor. That's all I knew. And 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 that uh, label, I was just like, man, this guy's got to be rich, you know, which we know most wholesalers aren't rich. Right. We just make good money. And so I met him and he he started following my vlogs and he really liked what I was doing. And, and he come, we, we went for a lunch meeting and he puts a job out, you know, a job offer in front of me. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like I'm an ad man. This is like my identity. I have this vlog, you know, and uh, things ended up over a course of time. We, we built a relationship and things didn't really, weren't really going the way that I wanted them to go um, at the ad agency, you know, for, for whatever reasons, mostly probably my fault. And uh, this, this guy that offered me this job, he offered me a partnership tied into the job and essentially said, if you come in and we can hit these revenue numbers, you can effectively double my business. I'll make you a partner. And I really wanted that. I really wanted ownership in something. And so I took the leap of faith. Um, my first day, I was like, what in the F did I get myself into? Because, you know, I knew the CRM was overwhelming. The contracts were overwhelming. They're talking about title and do it like I didn't even own a piece of property at that time. You know, and so I just figured out, all right, hey, look, I got to learn this business from the inside out. Where's the lowest place to start? The lowest paid person in the company was a lead manager. I said, I'm going to go start there. And so for three or four weeks, I just learned lead management. And then I learned acquisitions and then I learned the title and ultimately the work, like every position in the company. And, um, you know, I just was not going to fail. I seen that as this is my opportunity and I was a part of these other masterminds that you know, there was one guy specifically, my first month on the job, we went to uh, this mastermind, I think it's seven or eight figure flipping, something like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something Bill like Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there was a guy there that they were putting up on this pedestal that was like the king of wholesaling. And he was doing um, $4 million a year. I know who you're talking volume. about. I believe that. Well, I know. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I thought, I thought to myself, holy cow, like that is just that's like the pinnacle that is such a big deal like this guy you know he's he's got like 50 rentals and he's grossing 400 4 million dollars a year and i was like all right that's who i'm gonna catch that's who i'm gonna catch and we just went working relentlessly you know and every system every process every marketing channel we just brought it in and figured out how to do it but we kept hitting the ceiling drag and it was me right i was a shitty leader very terrible leader very you know just you wouldn't want to work for me and so finally we were sitting in a quarterly uh, strategic meeting with Gary Harper and we had just continued to miss our goals. Right. We're about a year in uh, maybe two years in at this what point. What year is this just for like a timestamp? Like where are we at in the market? Like, is this like 2018 ish, 2019 ish, 27? Yeah. Th th this is probably late 2018. Right. Okay. We're sitting in and we had just missed our goals and we had all this turnover and Gary just leans back and he says, I know the problem. And we're like, what is it? And he's like, you guys are, you guys got a leadership problem. You don't have a work ethic problem. You don't have a, like, it's your, your bad leaders. And so from then on a light bulb clicked, And I was like, you know what, if this guy who consults with all these businesses as bad as, you know, as, as much as my ego told me that that wasn't the case, I had to take his word. Like Gary's a pretty credible guy consults with a lot of businesses. He, he told me I'm shit. a crappy leader. I'm probably a crappy leader. 
Yeah. And so, boom, all the effort that I had put into learning real estate and learning sales and all that, I just turned into learning and studying like great leaders and what they do and the language that they embody. And we we took a course as an executive team uh, with Larry Yach, SEAL team. Um, and that was a huge paradigm shift. You know, and then I started following a couple of guys, Dr. Kevin Elko, if you don't know who he is, look him up. Phenomenal leader. Um, and just really, really went on this like, this uh what would you call it um just this journey to improve my leadership because what i realized is i was the ceiling i was the ceiling in the business as the leader and we were not going to grow past where i could take us so to speak uh and my partner at the time and so really began to work on the fundamentals there our recruiting process our hiring process we just kept building kept growing kept attempting to scale failure after failure after failure and then you know we look up Four years later, and we're at twenty million dollars a year That's in revenue. In in nine markets, nine markets is nine offices, two hundred employees. Like we had a call center in Belize. Um, it was pretty wild, man. It, it was pretty wild, you know. But but like most things, all things come to an end. Seasons change, um, you know. And and I ultimately ended up leaving Parting Waves that company back in July. And we've been able to go do it all again in Atlanta very quickly, right? I think I'm eight months in Atlanta and we'll hit a million dollars, I think by August, if we can hit our forecast and we will, it's just people and it's just time. Yeah. So that's amazing, dude, that you've been able to come in and, and, and strategically, you know, I, and I like how you started with like the leadership bottleneck. Cause a lot of people, they go from like doing it on their own and making some money and then they go hire a team and they, it just takes a shit. And then they're just all of a sudden they're like, you know what I mean? And like, they'll, sometimes they'll call me and I'm not, I'm not, no, <laughs> certainly not a leadership expert, but I have a small team myself. So I've learned the hard way. Most of the time, it's like the language they tell me how they communicate with their team is like, I'm like, dude, you're, you're, you sound like a dictator. I'm like, no wonder they don't <laughs> want to show up to your office. Like yeah. you don't care about them. You know, and they're like, you know what I mean? It's just, you got to think about them first. And then that's how you can really become a better leader. That's what I've learned at least. Well, if you're a hundred percent, right. Here's the, here's the thing that happens that I see the most. The way we lead ourselves is how we think we can lead other people. Yeah. Like the conversations that go on in here, you don't want to hear those conversations. No. Like, you know, I'm, I can talk to myself however I need to talk to myself to fire myself up, right? If yeah. I'm not closing a deal, I'm like, Ren, explicit, you know, explicit, uh, blah, blah, cuss word, cuss word, cuss word. You're a sorry, lazy piece of shit. You better get out there and close this deal. Yeah. Well, if you tell your employee that, you don't get the same result. And so- and 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 the the biggest problem in in leading people is is typically for someone who hasn't went down this journey, you make it they t- people tend to make it all about themselves, right? And what what I want as a manager, a leader, yeah. executive, and that is the complete opposite of what actually gets results. You have to you have to really care about the employee, what's important to them, how they reach their goals, and then when you chain a team together and they all are united and they're working individually as a team to reach their personal goals so that the team reach their collective goals, then you find real traction, real success. Bro, that is so freaking true. Cause I, I remember when I hired my first team member, I was like nervous as shit. And I didn't, I didn't really know what I was like. I had zero experience doing this. And then all of a yeah. sudden, you know, over time you learn, like, I remember when I hired my first acquisitions guy, I was like, if I can set this business up to where this business will help him achieve his goals, this will be really successful. And then I started making yeah. it all about him and all the work he was doing was helping him get to the next level, which then ultimately grew our business. 
And I was like, ah, this makes sense. You know what I mean? And then I have all these friends. They go through acquisitions people every two weeks. It's like a churn and burn factory. And you've been yep. able to have people stick. So let's let's talk about like, I guess, sales leadership, which is something you're an expert in. You guys got to the point, and now you're at the point again in Atlanta where you have a, a legitimate sales team, right? So what yep. do you guys do to like, and you actually mentioned something I'd like you to cover again on this podcast. You mentioned this in another podcast I heard. You like to hire people who are professionals, who actually have some responsibility, not going and hiring the Neanderthal 20-year-old who doesn't, who's picking his belly button lint, who has no skin in the game. I want you to elaborate because that was a big takeaway I got. And it makes sense that I, you know, with my team now, you know. Absolutely. You know, what we're ultimately trying to build is an elite organization, right? Mm -hmm. And I... I hold um, a lot of things in business very parallel to sports because I, I think that there's there's a lot of similarities when you examine a championship caliber team, right? Yeah. Like the, the team that wins the Super Bowl or the team that wins the NBA finals. Like if you look on a very micro level from how they organize their practice to the language inside of their organization to how they take care of their health, to how they take care of, you know, the finances of the organization to who they choose to come onto the team, you know, if we ran our businesses like that, there would be nothing that could stop us, yeah. you know? And if I'm building a championship team, I want to draft, so to speak, championship caliber teammates. And then that championship caliber teammate must come on the team and earn their starting spot every single day. And so if we're holding that parallel to business, well, what does a championship caliber teammate look like, Right somebody with a pedigree, somebody that is ultra successful, right? But to get drafted into the NBA, you have to have been an elite college athlete, an elite college yeah. athlete. And what we do is we go out and, and when we're building a business and recruiting people, we're not hiring elite professional employees. We're thinking who will come in and do the minimum and hopefully I'll get the maximum, but I'm going to be able to pay them as little as possible to get in. It's crazy, right? Yeah. It, it, it is, you know, and it's, yeah. it's silly. Right. And so, you know, my, my philosophy is, is like when I'm hiring someone, especially someone in a sales role, I, I want to know first, are they gainfully employed? And I want to know how much they're currently making. I want to hire someone that is currently making and exceeding six figures a year, because what that is going to tell me that, you know, they have, a base a floor of expenses that must be met every month and so let's say hey we go out we hire this 23 24 year old kid he lives with some roommates so his rent's 400 a month he drives a honda accord so that's 329 you know so now we're at 729 a month and then he needs to eat so really the guy needs to earn about 1500 a month and then if he has anything left over it's going to partying or traveling or whatever but so his floor, his minimum earnings that he will earn every month is call it two thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. So he's probably going to close two. Yeah. He's going to close two deals a year. I mean, two yeah. deals a month to make that money. Well, let's look at the other side of the coin. If you go out and you hire somebody that's married with four children, whose wife drives a Mercedes, their mortgage is four thousand dollars a month, three thousand dollars a month. They have eight thousand dollars in expenses per month. They are going to show up and operate at a completely different level than that, you know, the previous spoken subject. Right. Yeah. And and that's what I want. I want someone who has has worked their way up. They know how to work a sales process. They know how to make 10 grand a month. Yeah. There's a big person 
there's a big difference in what's between the ears and somebody that knows how to make $10,000 a month and somebody that knows how to make $2,000 a month. True. And that's the caliber of person that I want on my team. And then, but then the, the trouble that you get that you run into there is let's say I'm courting you to come work at my company, Greg, and, you, and you're in a successful sales career and you're, you're making 10 grand a month and you love my company, you love my culture, you love the opportunity. But when you say, well, all right, what, how, what's the comp plan? And I say, oh, it's straight commission. You're thinking to yourself, okay, if you're smart, you ask, well, how soon, what's the cash realization cycle? How soon does somebody start earning commissions? Well, in wholesale, it's probably about 45 days, right? You yeah, know, you get a deal longer, contract, depending on where you are. Yeah. It's longer in my company, right? I was being conservative there. So are, are being, uh, you know, pretty good in there. But so let's think about that. Just break it down. Best case scenario, day one, you close a deal. You get a deal under contract, takes, you know, 45 days to close it. And then you're not getting paid until the next payroll after the deal closes. Because if you're a business owner, I'm not cutting you a check every time. So we're looking at 60, 60 days, call it, until you get a paycheck. But and and then that paycheck, that's just one deal. And if your average commissions are twenty five, you know, you make twenty five hundred dollars a deal, and I think that's being, you know, pretty pretty giving. In ninety days, you're gonna make. If you're running the numbers and you're smart, you're saying ninety days, I'm gonna make twenty five hundred. My bills every month are eight thousand. Then you go have the conversation with the wife. What is she gonna say? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? I don't care how much you love that job, how much opportunity we got bills. Little little Britney's in private school. Like, how are we going to pay our mortgage? We don't have a bunch of savings for you to go make this huge career shift, and maybe you don't get a paycheck for 90 days. So what do you do then? Well, you find out what their minimum expenses are. This guy needs 10 grand a month. You give him 10 grand a month. And people think, oh, my God. How could you I do can't, that? I, how could you do that? Well, here's the, the truth. My math may be off here, but 10 grand a month is about $350 a day. Yeah. Yeah. We pay we pay more than that for a lead sometimes, Greg. Dude, I pay six twenty-five a lead on some shit, bro. Yeah. Yeah. For a lead. One lead. Yeah. Yeah. And you're telling me that you won't pay three hundred and fifty, four hundred dollars a day for an elite all-star. But it has to be set up in a very specific way. And I'll tell you what that talk track looks like. You know, hey, guy wants 10 grand a month. I'm going to give him a guarantee pay for, call it three months of $10,000, $30,000. I'm very uncomfortable at that point. And so we have to set proper ex upfront expectations. Hey, uh, Greg, you know, I'm very uncomfortable $10,000 a month, but I believe in you. You have a proven track record. I know you're elite. You rolled up in a, you know, a, a bin. Somebody's been paying for that, right? You're, I know you're, you're, you're 35 years old. I'm hoping your dad still isn't paying for that. I'm assuming your commissions are paying for that. Here's the deal. I'm going to pay you that $10,000 a month, which is effectively $350 a day. Here's what you're going to do for me. You're going to be the first person in the office. You're going to be the last person to leave. Here are your KPIs. You will not miss them, and you must get a contract in the first month, no matter what. Do you agree to that? And it's not that outlandish. That's you know, a reasonable request, bro. That's very reasonable. fair. Reasonable requests. And here's the thing. If they get one contract in the first month and our average profit per deal is called $25,000 in Atlanta, then I almost got a 3x return on my investment in that person in the first 30 days. Yep. On that, on the overhead you spent, because you know that revenue just got booked out for 45 days after. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, unfortunately, not everyone can stomach a $10,000, you know, investment like that for, for three months. But here's the thing. 
there's plenty of people out there that will, will take less, you know, but don't make it $1,500. Like, Hey, I'm going to give you a base salary of, 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 of $24,000 a year. Like, dude, come on. You, 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 and that dude, what you just said is why so many people burn through acquisitions. People is they don't have someone who has a six figure identity, bro. And that's the thing that I realized is like, why have, I've had a really good one for a while and he's, he's getting even better. He's got a six figure identity. And that's where his thermostat's at. And he knows yep. how good he is and he understands his role. And now he's on track to make 150 this year. And it's like, because that's his expectations. And now he's got a lifestyle that he has now. So I see people, they try to just get these people, you know, uh, over this overseas. And there's nothing wrong with that, but they're trying to get someone to buy a house overseas in the Philippines in San yeah. Diego. I'm like, dude, good luck doing that. Cause if you're competing with someone else, like Phil Green or someone, you're gonna get destroyed. Like they have destroyed. Yeah, it's not. It's not destroyed. Fair. Yeah. Hey, what's going on? This is Greg Hellbeck here, and if you're listening to this, odds are you are a real estate investor. And a big question that I always get asked is, Greg, how do you get your deals? So I have the answer to that question. The main way that I get deals, and it's been this way for years, is through direct mail marketing. Now, direct mail marketing is certainly not easy, but if you have direct mail dialed in the right way, it is profitable month after month after month after month. So I'm actually going to give you a free guide, which is my top five direct mail mistakes. So if you want to check out my guide absolutely for free, go to directmailclass.com, put in your name and email, and you will get my guide, which is my top five fatal direct mail mistakes. If you just use that guide alone, it will make you a much better direct mail marketer. So if you want to learn how to optimize and become very successful finding deals through direct mail marketing for your real estate investment company, go to directmailclass.com and get my free guide. Yeah. And, and, and that correlates into all positions. You know, I, I know guys, their director of marketing is in the Philippines and I'm just like, how you may be saving money, but you are costing yourself millions of dollars. Oh my gosh. If not more. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how people, and they just, cause it's a short term decision. It's like, it's the decision that you just kind of shared with the listeners was like, it doesn't feel good in the short term paying someone 10 grand a month, but in the long term, it feels amazing. It's the opposite. When you go cheap, it feels mm -hmm. really good. I'm getting these cheap people right now. The first 30 days, I don't have all this overhead coming out, but then in the long run, when they're performing like crap, now all of a sudden you're like, wow, what if I just did this the right way the first time? You know what I mean? hundred percent, hundred percent. So let's talk about how you were able to start and then now grow this business now in Atlanta, which is not an easy market to operate in. I would imagine it's pretty, pretty tough over there with the, I guess the, I guess the prices, I, I don't know Atlanta for me, but it seems to me like Atlanta, like everyone's moving there. It seems like it's a pretty good real estate market to to compete in, you know, with demand. Yeah. Yeah. I love Atlanta. Right. I love Atlanta. I think one mistake, you know, I, I call it a mistake, I say mistake, but one, one thing that we didn't have the foresight to understand is as we were building that previous company, we were operating along the panhandle of the Gulf coast, you know, um, in, in the South, right. Where the, what is this like Alabama, house, Florida, Alabama, Florida. Yeah. Mississippi, um, where the median house price you know, like where I live in Mobile is $137,000. And what I've found to be held true Holy is your average profit per deal, which is the primary driver of revenue inside of your company, 
that that average profit per deal typically trails north or south 10 to 20 percent of the median house price yeah of the yeah yeah that's so true (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And so Atlanta, the median house price is uh, 330 something thousand dollars. And we've been able to maintain about a $25,000 average profit per deal through this through this little downturn that we're in now. And prior to that, I know that that, you know, um, it was it was much higher and, and they'll come back to that we'll, and we'll get better. But maintaining that that widget, which is the average profit per deal is good. And so I say that to say I love Atlanta because it's got a higher average price. And I, I would I was always scared to go into a major metro before because, and we discussed this through our expansion, because of the competition. We thought, hey, let's just dominate these tertiary markets. Let's not go play in it. You know, we we you know, we want to go where we can dominate. Well, the truth is, is Atlanta, um, there's just no sophisticated competition in wholesaling. That's the truth, right? There's probably 50 wholesalers in the country that I would consider sophisticated yeah. that are dialed in, that are running legitimized, corporatized businesses, right? When you say names like Phil Green or Doug Hopkins or, you know, uh, these Property guys. Force. It, it, yeah. 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 That, those are legitimate companies, Big right? Boys. That have, yeah. yeah. And they're sophisticated, but there's so much market share, right? Atlanta has like 6 million people. Six million people. I know for a fact that by the end of this year, uh, sorry, according to our forecast, by the end of next year, by the end of 2024, I'll be doing over 100 deals out of Atlanta and per month, that is per month, and will not touch the market share. There's just so much. There's so many houses, dude. There's so so many houses. And so we've been able to go in very quickly and build a team. And and, and here's another thing, too, which is amazing. Um, Check this out. Nobody, no super, super talented person grows up in Mobile, goes off to college and decides, I'm going to go back to Mobile and start my career. Doesn't happen. They go to cool ass cities like Atlanta, you know, Chattanooga, Nashville, San Diego. I mean, look where you live. You're super talented. Did you want to stay in the town that you grew up in? No. Heck no. You knew how I just to make got money. a second house there. It's somewhere freaking cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now yeah. I just got the you second house money? whenever I want to go back and visit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and so the talent pool that we're able to draw from in Atlanta is phenomenal. We're able to hire at an exponential clip and get good talent. You know, six months in, I think we have currently staffed 12 acquisition managers, five disposition managers, um, you know, and, and we're doing really, really well. And so I, I previously was scared of a little competition, but now I think it makes you better when you lean it into you it. Toes, man. And you're, you said you're in a tier one city, bro. When you're in a tier one city, you just hit the nail on the head. The, think about Atlanta. There's so many movie businesses there. There's corporate jobs. There's call rails based out of Atlanta. All these companies yeah. are, it's, it's like the hub of the South besides Miami. Right. So yeah, it's, it's cool to see how you're able to kind of go from those smaller markets into the Atlanta market and really, um, you know, start yeah. to wrap up. You know what I mean? I, w- I wish I would have done it years ago. I wish we would have started there. I wish we would have started there because have you found the dispo easier in Atlanta. Cause it's such a big, like, cause it's just, it's a tier one city. Right. There's more. Um, there's there's exponentially more buyers. You know, all the hedge funds are buying there. Yeah. Uh, hey, can you give me give me a second, please? Um, all the hedge funds are buying there. Every, I mean, it's just there's tons of cash buyers. There's tons of people, and so I wouldn't say it's necessarily easy. Well, first off, dispo is really easy if you got a good deal, right? If you got a crappy I deal, I say, I that, I say that to everybody. <laughs> you got a good deal, it's not too hard to sell it. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't care where you are. If you got a good deal, you should be able to sell it. But we're able to leverage different tools now. We're able to sell to different type of people. We don't just have to sell to the professional fix and flipper or the professional landlord who want to negotiate and can only buy deals, you know, 50, 60 cents on the dollar. We can sell to yeah. retail buyers. We can sell to retail investors. Yeah. We can leverage realtors. And so, you know, I, I just, I love it, man. I love the competition. I love the amount of housing stock that exists there. I love the price point and I love the talent pool that we're able to draw from. Yeah, dude. That's amazing, bro. That's amazing. And how far do you live? Like, how often do you have to go there? Are you 100% like virtual at this point? Uh, I go every two weeks. So we have an office there. We operate there. Okay. We have a corporate office there. I, I go every two weeks. I'm up there. Uh, for like you know, hour flight to get there? Uh, so it is 45 minute flight, but I actually drive. Um, it's probably not that and it's a, it's, it's about a six hour drive. And I know that sounds crazy, but I live. And so when you do the math, I live 40 minutes from the airport. So call that an hour. Yeah. Okay. And then you got to get to the, uh, the airport an hour before you board. So there's two hours and then it's an hour flight. And then it's an hour drive um, to our office to get out. It's an hour to get out of the airport in Atlanta. And then it's, oh, it's an hour drive. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's an hour drive to our office, which is Northwest Atlanta and Buford. So there's five hours. There's five hours there and yeah. it's a pain in the ass. And that, that's if there's no delays, your luggage doesn't get lost, right? All of that. So I can hop in the car and be on the phone literally for five hours straight you know, which I'm on the phone all day anyway, and I have no disruptions in service. You know, I get great time to think on the road and do planning or listen to audible books. So I find it's a better use of my yeah. time to be in the vehicle, you know, cause it takes me just as long to fly and I have an interruption of service or interruption of workflow due to, you know, navigating, riding it. a plane. Dude, that's awesome, man. You guys are like the, the dominant, the dominant force down in the Southeast. So as we start to wind the show down, I got some questions on how you were able to ramp up in Atlanta quickly. So you go into a market. So you've done this now, you know, the, with your first company, you came into the real estate business. Now with the second company, now you're, you had to start over, but you had all the knowledge, skill sets, and all the stuff that you developed over the last four years. So when you guys decided you wanted to jump into Atlanta and revamp the business there, what was like your, your 90 day kind of like game plan runway to start to get the momentum because everyone knows once you get that momentum, it becomes a lot easier to, to scale it out from there. Yeah. So something that I left out is I, as I do have business partners in Atlanta and it was some guys that I was, I was mentoring um, okay. before I, before I made the shift out. And so I made the shift. I was mentoring. I told them guys, I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm no longer with this company. And they were like, Oh my God, then come work with us. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not interested in a partnership. But I am coming to Atlanta and, and maybe we can collaborate on some things yeah. because Atlanta was the closest market where there was not a conflict of interest. You know, I didn't want to go down that path so I could go there and do business. And I, I knew it was a market that I wanted to be in. And these guys at the time, their their model, their primary model was selling to hedge funds. Right. And this was July. And, you know, they only sold to hedge funds. They did not have a direct to seller. They did not have a cash buyers list. Right. A lead would come in. They'd go put it in an offer pad. Offer pad would say, hey. We'll pay this and they would go get on the phone with them, do it virtually and just offer them less. Well, the fortunate news is there's been a massive appreciation in Atlanta and anybody that's owned their house over five or six years have a good amount of equity in it. And then on top of that, all of these hedge funds were paying like 120 percent of ARV. And so they could like freaking pay, you know, they would get on Zillow and say, um, you know, the Zillow would say 450. The hedge fund offer would be 460 and they paid, you know. 
290 for it. And so they could come in and get it, you know, 10, $20,000 under what Zillow says, which is easy to do. And then turn around disposition for an average profit per deal, like 40 grand. They told me, Greg, check this out. It's the deal. And it, I make fun of them. I make fun of them to this and they killed it. Right. They did like in their first year over a million dollars in revenue. They had a $600,000 wholesale fee, uh, which they, is their claim to fame. On a they single family they, house? No, a package of four houses to a hedge fund. Wow. $600,000 wholesale fee. So anyway, they, um, if, if the deal, if they weren't going to make $40,000 on the deal, they wouldn't even look at it. That's how spooled they were. Right. And, and we always laugh and make fun of them of, about this. And so, once I told them I was leaving, they were like, Ren, we got to do something. The hedge fund stopped buying in July and their wet revenue went to zero. And, you know, oh, it we just dried back. up overnight. That was their only thing. It was just hedge funds and that, that was it. Yep. That was in luxury flips. And we, we knew what was coming there. They would do big time million dollar flips. Um, and so we went back and forth and, and ultimately like I had to make the decision, Hey, do I go and invest $150,000 potentially over the next six months of my own cash uh, with a lot of, you know, uncertainty, I was confident in myself, but you know, or do I go and partner with these guys? They were able to, you know, we worked out a deal to get some equity and, and all, you know, it, it made it work. They gave me a good offer. And so we did. Uh, and they had a small team, one acquisition manager, one disposition manager, one title gal, and then the two of them. And, uh, you know, we come in and, uh, had a bunch of turnover uh, and just got it ramped up, right? And implemented everything that I knew to implement and just got to work, right? Every day, relentlessly started town. First hire we made was a recruiter, right? And, and people will say, well, what? But here's the thing. I have a professional recruiter that's been doing this 20, 30 years. He hires, he works 50 hours a week and is only able to hire two to three people per month. Wow. Full-time recruiting. Because we are going after that that talent level, and that is a big bottleneck in people's company is their inability to hire A players with speed, yeah. and that's what we've been able to do. I have twelve of them now. Only only eight of them are actively working in the the other nine, ten, and twelve. The other three are 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 in queue to come on. Right, we have some workforce planning, and we want to make sure that we don't over leverage our cash flow because we're bringing on people with big base salaries. For you're, bringing on big, months, right? you're bringing on big adults. This is a professional organization, not a big adults. Know. We yeah. were, we were looking at our P and L last month and uh, our far, sorry, our forecasting for this month, I had $50,000 in training pay this month, Training 50,000 training pay, which is their, their guarantee for the first three months. Oh, but, like you said uh, in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you the first guy that we locked up and when I told Clinton Tyler that we were going to, we had a guy come in, right. First guy that I hired, he had to have $10,000 a month, had to have $10,000 a month. That, that was his non-negotiable. And they were like, I was like, just trust me. Just let's, let's roll the dice. I'll, I'll, I'll put the bill. And they were like, well, you're not going to put the bill. The dude bought 11 houses in his first month with no real estate experience. He sold software. <laughs> look at the, look at the revenue on that 11 times, even if you just made 20 a deal. I mean, that's, Even if you go like only half of them closed, right? Only half yeah. of them closed. So there's six, six times 20 is what you do the math. That's 120 grand, 120 grand. And you paid him 10 grand a month. I mean, come on. It's a no brainer. It's almost a 10 to one return. I mean, that's, but yeah. that's playing the long game, bro. That's playing the long game and not playing the, the right away game. And that's, that's the thing with, I think Steve Trang said this one time who learned it from Darren Hardy. You're financing talent. You're not like paying a guy 
or a girl hundred grand up front with a check. Yeah, talent over time, man. Like it's like mm-hmm. you just every month. If they're performing, obviously they're still on the team. You're paying them. And obviously there's a spread between what you're paying them and what you're bringing in. And, you know, it's tough. I feel like the thing with Ren, when it comes to like growing a legitimate business, what you've been able to do is a lot of people get started and they're like working at a job. Maybe they're making 80 grand a year and they're sick of doing that for someone else. So then they go and they start a real estate flipping or whatever, wholesaling, whatever, being an agent, it's all the same, really transactional real estate. Now they're making like 200 grand a year. So they have more money than they ever had, but they've never really like started a legitimate business. So then they get into this situation where they're kind of like pigeonholed making like 200 grand a year. They don't have any employees and they just don't know how to get to that next level. But you've been able to look at this business over the last six years from like a scaled standpoint. And that's what, you know, you became world-class at doing, man. And you've been doing, you know, big things on the education side too. So it's really cool knowing you for so long, seeing what you've been able to do and grow these businesses big time. It's it's super impressive, bro. I genuinely mean that. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I can tell you that uh, I play a small part in it, I, you know, um, a very small part. It, you know, I, I, I try to surround myself with smart people, you know, who are way smarter than me. Right. I, I don't have a college education. I made awful grades in school. Like I had to do like community service at the school to even graduate, yeah. you know, which is a whole nother story, but it, it, it's about the people that you surround yourself with, man. And, and I just, I'm not going to fail. I'm not, I know it's possible, right? Like you said earlier, having that identity, like what is, what is your identity? And if you can conceive it, you can believe it, you can achieve it. And, uh, but you gotta be willing to fail, man. And, and, and in talking of failures, I have made, I'm the biggest knucklehead you'll ever meet, right? Like I've gotten in so much trouble. I have, you know, made every leadership mistake, every business mistake, but I, you know, I just continue to learn from it and continue to put other people first and give, you know, as much as I can. And and it somehow it works out for me. I love it, brother. It's amazing. I have a great friend of mine. His name is Eric Hatch. He's a big, uh, real estate guy up in Fargo. And he's always, he's got a book he wrote and it's called play for the person next to you, right? Not playing for you play. If you go every day and you, you know, go to your business or your life every day and you're playing for your teammates and you don't want to let them down. Everyone with that mindset, you know, raises, raises up and levels up. So it's, it's impressive to, to see what you've been able to do and what you guys are going to be doing in the future. So if people, I mean, I know you've actually, since you've transitioned to, you've been offering some some training out there with Steve and you got some other. So if people want to like kind of find out, maybe they want to work with you, connect with you, you know, what's the best way they can reach you directly and then reach out to some training you have. Yeah. So we do a lot of stuff now in the education space. I started a coaching company called wartime CEO, where we teach people how to be a wartime CEO and not a P it's easy. It's easy to be fat and happy in peacetime and business is war. So we go to war every day. Uh, I know. And then uh, Steve Trang and I do Sales Leadership 2.0, where we it's just a paradigm shift of how to lead people. Are you a real estate investor who wants to get to the next level? Well, my name is Greg Hellback, and over the last five years, I have bought and sold well over 125 houses, and I have learned a ton of stuff, and I've made a lot of mistakes. And hopefully, as they say, a wise man learns from someone else's mistakes. So if you are a real estate investor and you want to learn how to get to the next level, you might be a good fit for my coaching program. So if you're interested in finding out if my coaching program could be a fit for you, head over to bookacallwithgreg.com. On that website, you're going to be able to simply book a call with me absolutely free for 15 minutes. And I'm basically going to see 
how I can best help you, right? I'm not gonna high pressure sell you. It's gonna be none of that whatsoever. It's gonna be a very helpful call. We're gonna have a 15 minute conversation. I'm gonna ask you some questions about where you're at and where you wanna get to. And if you think it's a fit to potentially work with me as a coaching client, I'd love to offer the opportunity to work with you. And if it's not a fit for some reason, no big deal. That 15 minute call is gonna be super, super helpful. I'm gonna give you some good pointers so I can help you, you know, get your business to the next level. There's two types of people I work with. The first person is the person who's brand new. They might not have ever done a deal before, and they really want to learn step-by-step how they can get their first deal, right? That's the first person. The second person I work with is someone who might have done some deals. Maybe they have you know, a deal every other month coming in, or they just have inconsistent income, and they really want to learn sales and marketing strategies so they can consistently get two, three, four, five deals a month in a formulaic way. So those are the two people I work with. If that sounds like you, I'd love to hop on the phone with you for 15 minutes, see if you're a good fit for our coaching program. Go to bookacallwithgreg.com and sign up for a free consultation today. You know, flip that org chart upside down and become a servant leader. So, but yeah, man, you can reach out to me really on Instagram is the best place to do it. It's just at Ren Bartlett. At Ren Bartlett. That's easy, easy enough. I see you putting a lot of content out there too. So it's always great to see that. And uh, dude, Keep doing big things. Let's stay in touch. And I hope you have a great rest of your day, buddy. 100%, bro. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Real Estate Investing Fast Track. I hope you got a lot of value from this specific episode. And there are a few takeaways that you're able to gather from this to implement in your business so you can be a more successful real estate investor. So if you did get value from the show, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes, it would really mean a lot to me. That's how we keep growing the show and getting great guests is because people see the reviews. They see that we have a high quality show and they want to contribute as a guest. So that would be great. Also, if you got value, if you could share the show on social media, that would be great because that is how people see this besides the reviews. So once again, if you did get value, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes and share the show on social media, it would really mean a lot to me and I'll see you on the next episode.